For Pacifica Radio, November 9th, 2023, I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com and the author of Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. You can find my full interview archive, almost 6,000 of them now, going back to 2003, at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And you can follow me on Twitter, if you dare, at scotthortonshow. And our guest today is our good friend Ted Snyder, and he writes for us at the Institute and at antiwar.com, and he's got these, well, a lot of stuff, but two very important articles we're going to focus on for the show today. Three major events in Russia. The world didn't notice, and Ukraine has lost the war. Welcome back to the show, Ted. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you. So uh, listen up, L.A. This guy is one of the most astute American, sorry, Canadian observers (laughs) of this terrible war in Ukraine as it's developed over the last almost two years now. Unbelievably, Ted. Um, well, I know there was a little bit of talk out of Washington, D.C., that NBC story said that yeah. they were about ready to wash their hands of this thing. But I wonder what all's going on in D.C. and what all's going on in the war and what all, as you say, what are these three things going on in Russia, too? The floor is yours. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the, the three things going on in Russia that that didn't get a lot of notice of both international and domestic. The the one you were talking about, the NBC article, was interesting, and it came out, there was a constellation of articles that came out at the same time that are showing this um, growing pressure on Zelensky to perhaps recognize that Ukraine's not going to win the war, that they're not going to achieve their policy goals on the battlefield, that the longer they try, the worse it might get. And so it might be time at last to turn to the negotiating table. The The NBC article was interesting, Scott, because it showed really different language than, than Washington has used before. It suggested that U.S. and European officials have begun to broach the topic with Zelensky of what it might take to negotiate an end of the war. And it also used language of what Ukraine would be willing to give up. So this is really the first time you're seeing leaking into the public, you know, American, European officials not only saying that it might have to come down to negotiations, but that Ukraine might have to give stuff up. And, you know, there's only there's only really two things that they could mean by Ukraine give stuff up, and that would be territory and um, NATO ambitions. So that was really interesting. Well, I mean, what you're telling me is they should have negotiated in the first place, Ted, it sounds like. So the, I mean the, the, so Scott, that's just the most tragic thing of the war of all, right? Like, it was really clear in the first days, the first weeks, especially March and April, that first year in Istanbul, it was really clear that Zelensky was entirely willing to negotiate another war, even before the war. Zelensky was talking about, you know, we'll give up our NATO aspirations. Let's talk and. Um, it was really clear in Istanbul. There's no doubt anymore in Istanbul. I would argue there's no doubt anymore in Istanbul that that a, a, a tentative agreement between Ukraine and Russia had actually been initialed by the two sides. It had gone that far where Russia had said they would pull back to their pre-war lines and um, Ukraine would 
give up its NATO aspirations. They had agreed to that. And this is the tragedy, Scott. The, the war at that point could have been over before it had escalated into a huge war, before the massive loss of life, before the massive infrastructure damage. Ukraine and Russia were willing to end the war, and the states wasn't. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really clear now that the states, in fact, the evidence is getting stronger every week, that, that the U.S. said no to that. And, and the result has been, um, as you said, almost two years of horrific loss of life, um, horrific war that, that in the end has come down to Ukraine being not in a better position on the battlefield to go to the negotiating table, as Biden kept saying. They're in a worse position on the battlefield than they were when they first reached an agreement with Russia. And now they're being pressured to reach a new agreement with Russia that's going to be worse than the one they could have had two years ago. So they're going to they're gonna come out of this war with a worse agreement they could have had and hundreds of thousands of more deaths because the U.S. said no. You know, and we know the U.S. said no, not just because Russia has said that, but because the Turkish officials in Istanbul have said that and the former German um, Chancellor um, Schroeder, or Schroeder was um, who was there, he was asked by Ukraine to negotiate. He's gone public recently, said that Ukraine said no because the Americans told him that, so they had to check everything with the Americans. Um, so this is, this is a horrific war that need not have happened. And now um, U.S. officials are saying to Ukraine, you need to talk about you need to give up. But remember that, that what they have to give up, the, the land, they wouldn't have had to give that up at the beginning because the additional land had been taken. They could have had the Minsk Accords where that land would have just been autonomous. Now the agreement's going to have to be that they give it up altogether. So, so what, what Ukraine's going to have to give up now um, is much worse than they would have had to give up before. And they've bought this worse settlement at the price of hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, that's the tragedy. This is, this, is all, this is all in the U.S. You know, that's the tragedy. Yeah, and... Of course, we had Ukrainian officials that talked to Ukrainian Pravda right away and told the whole story, too. And that came yeah, from and, their side, that they yeah. felt pressured by Boris Johnson that, boy, I guess we better do what you say. Yeah, um, it's, it seems pretty clear that during those Istanbul talks, Johnson showed up and, and um, told them that although you may be willing to negotiate with Putin, we're not. There's also a lot of stories. I haven't seen this absolutely confirmed, Scott, but there's also a lot of stories that Johnson said something like we want you to keep on fighting if you do we'll give you all the weapons you need for as long as you need them um and so you know Zelensky walked away thinking he kind of had that that guarantee of as long as as much as you need for as long as you need them yeah um and so so there was there was that you know there was that pressure too and the thing is you know as long as you as much weapons as you need for as long as you need them um for what it's it's become really clear now I mean, first of all, not news. The Ukrainian counteroffensive has, has failed, right? But Scott, it hasn't just failed. What happened on the counteroffensive is that is that Russia took up a strategy of of going onto the defensive, not trying to acquire territory, but just watching the Ukrainian troops flood in to their defensive lines and just devour them. So that through this war of attrition, they just devoured Ukrainian soldiers and devoured Ukrainian equipment. And people talk about this sort of um, this stalemate where in a counteroffensive, Ukraine's only managed to gain 17 kilometers of land. And, and in the months before that, Russia was only able to acquire, you know, um, 
six kilometers of land. And this is just a complete mistake of metrics, right? Because because it's true that Ukraine's fighting to gain land. They have to. They're trying to kick Russia out of their land. Russia's not fighting to gain land. Russia's fighting to beat the Ukrainian army. And the way they do that is by sitting where they are and just, you know, right. mowing down. Right? So so it's not true that it's at this sort of stalemate. And what's happened in the Ukrainian counteroffensive is because of this, they haven't just failed. They've had such a massive loss of men and arms that they're now completely vulnerable to a Russian counteroffensive. And so what you're starting to see slowly now is that Russia's moving these defensive lines forward and they're slowly and methodically acquiring land at enormous loss to Ukrainians. Um, so that so the counteroffensive actually reduced Ukraine to a position of vulnerability that they're now exposed for the situation to get much, much worse on the battlefield than it is now. Um, and you're seeing huge loss of life again. And, and also this sort of newfound ability of Russia to almost at will shoot planes out of the sky. They've, their air defense have improved. They're just they're downing, you know, um, Ukrainian planes and they're they're taking out the, you know, the leopard tanks at a, at a sort of astonishing rate. And, um, you know, Zoluzhny, the, the Ukrainian commander in chief, has said that even though sanctions were meant to make it so Russia couldn't continue to finance their war machine, um, they're producing weapons at an increasing rate, whereas he said, no matter how many weapons you give Ukraine, they can't get enough. So Ukraine's weapons are going down. So you've got this sort of war of attrition right now, where in the long run, Ukraine's going to run out of weapons. And as as a number of people have said now, and I'm talking not just like Western commentators, I'm talking about politicians in, in Zelensky's inner circle um, and others who are saying that not only can't we get enough weapons, even if we got enough weapons, we don't have enough men left to use them, that the, the rate of death has been so high. So so you're just in this horrific position now where where Ukraine has not enough weapons, not enough men and, and Russia is getting stronger and stronger. If the goal of the West was to weaken Russia somehow, um, the exact opposite has happened and, and the future on the battlefield looks really bleak. So you're getting these U.S. and, and European officials now starting to talk about to Zelensky's you've got to get off the battlefield. Zelensky, yeah. by by reports from Time magazine. Um, the people around him have begun to worry that his intransigence, that he's going to win the war, this belief he has that he's going to win the war, um, his inner circle have called it messianic and delusional. They say they're trying to tell him they can't win and he's not listening. Um, and, and they're even saying that that's making the battlefield worse because they're saying Zelensky's unwillingness to see how the battlefield has changed has made him unable to adapt to it. And he's still fighting the war like it was months ago. And you're getting commanders in the field now just openly disobeying orders from Zelensky. Um, you're getting the, the, the um, orders from the top coming down, telling troops to take towns or to advance. And you're getting commanders in the fields just refusing. And a, a senior Ukrainian military officer defended that idea that they refuse them, saying that they have to second guess orders from the top because orders from the top are increasingly disconnected from the battlefield reality. So this is a very ugly situation. And, and you know, as you know, um, it's led to this kind of open battle now between Zelensky and his generals, where he wants to um, do everything to defend these towns like Bakhmut and um, 
uh, Avdivka, I'm sure I'm saying these wrong. Um, at, and the generals just say that this is just being done at the cost of enormous amounts of life for nothing. Um, and you're, you're getting the sort of, for the first time, I think, these, these rifts that are being made public between the, the, the president and the generals. Give me just a minute here. At the Libertarian Institute, we publish books, real good ones. So far, we've got Will Griggs' No Quarter, Sheldon Richmond's Coming to Palestine and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other, and four of mine, Fool's Aaron, Enough Already, The Great Ron Paul, and my brand new one, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And I'm happy to announce that we've just published our managing editor Keith Knight's first one, The Voluntarist Handbook, an excellent collection of essays by the world's greatest libertarian thinkers and writers, including me. Check them all out at libertarianinstitute.org books. And for a limited time, signed copies of Enough Already and Hotter Than the Sun are available at scotthorton.org books. Hey guys, I had some wasps in my house. So I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a Bug Assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. It's Anti-War Radio. I'm Scott Horton talking with Ted Snyder from Antiwar.com. Ukraine has lost the war, he writes. And I think, you know, this is not exactly your style, but it's what we're talking about in essence. But I think it's worth emphasizing, as Glenn Greenwald did in a recent interview, the just absolute depravity and war guilt on the part of the Americans and the Brits and the other allies who have helped push this war, who've done everything they could to obstruct peace, when, as you and I have known and said, and as Greenwald has known and said, and so many others have known and said all along, well, Ukraine can't push Russia out. It's Russia. They got millions more men, zillions more dollars and resources. And they're right there adjacent. And sooner or later, they're going to win. And America yeah. can make it tough for them. But ultimately, Ukraine's going to run out of guys. So if this is about actually caring for the people of Ukraine and trying to do what's best for them at all, then America would have encouraged them to negotiate. Listen, you guys really need to implement Minsk too so that we can avoid further violent conflict here. And instead they were not willing to negotiate. They would have rather had a war at the Ukrainians' expense. And this is the most cynical thing in the world that someone it's, could do. And I know that it bothers people because, you know, we're from here. It's our government's doing it. And are you really saying that they're that bad? That they would Scott, knowingly think, get think, a friend into a fight they know he's going to lose just because, well, he'll get some blows in and that's good enough for us. I think there's there's so much to say about what you just said. And I would go way beyond cynicism. Um, th this is moral depravity. Um, it's, it's moral depravity because the U.S. knew that Ukraine couldn't win the counteroffensive. And they pressed them to do them. And, and I'm, I'm not quoting word for word, Scott, but I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's pretty close to a quote. I don't have it in front of me. The U.S. knew they'd lose the counteroffensive, but they pressed them to do it 
because they thought they would be willing to take the massive losses. They, they, they trusted to Ukrainian ingenuity to try to find a way to win when they couldn't win because they thought they'd be willing to take the massive losses. So the U.S. used Ukraine to advance their own foreign policy goals because don't forget, we already talked about this. Ukraine had satisfied their foreign policy goals in the first days of the war when they agreed to an end with Russia. And, and the state said, no, we need you to go on because, and I'm quoting now, there are bigger issues right, than, than Ukraine's goals. So, so Ukraine had satisfied their goals. The U.S. pushed Ukraine to go on fighting to meet U.S. foreign policy goals, knowing that hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians would die, thinking that Ukraine would be willing to take that loss. And when I say in my article, Ukraine has lost the war, yes, that's an inflammatory title. I don't usually write like that. It's not my words, right? Zolushny, the commander-in-chief of the Ukrainian army, said this is a stalemate. And he went on beyond this is a stalemate. And he said, there is not going to be any breakthrough. We're not going to win. And he wasn't just talking about a stalemate, Scott. He was talking about a loss. Because he went on to say that a stalemate means a long war of an attrition. And a long war of attrition favors Russia. Because we're going to... So, so he's saying, Zolushny saying we've lost. And, and as you yeah. said, that's because Russia has three or four times the population. And despite what you read in the Western media, Ukrainian soldiers are dying at way greater rate than Russian soldiers. So you have a smaller population with greater deaths. They're running out of people. They're drafting older and older people. They're drafting people with, with medical conditions. There's even stuff in the media today all over the place about, you know, thinking of drafting women in and not, like do, doing whatever. Ukraine's going to run out of arms. They're going to run out of people. They're dying for a war that, that they had stop because of their foreign policy goals. They're dying for U.S. foreign policy goals. That's not just cynicism. That's moral depravity when they actually have, you know, words out of the states, out of Washington saying, we knew they'd lose this. We just thought they'd be willing to take the deaths to, to advance American foreign policy goals. Yeah, That's just depravity. And again, you're right. They, they not only didn't push them to that table, they didn't push them at Minsk. We know now from everybody's admissions that Minsk was just a soporific. It was designed to put Russia to sleep and pretend there was a peaceful solution. They always intended this military solution. Um, these were these were American goals, um, America blocking diplomacy from the beginning, using Ukrainian lives to fight America's war. Um, that's beyond cynicism. That's 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 moral depravity. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just as ugly as can be. And look, so if people are just kind of... Uh you know, tuning in to TV news. There's a pretty simple narrative here, though, which is, look, our ally is being attacked by this evil right-wing fascist state, and we have to help them. And how could we not? And so even if they are going to lose eventually, they're asking us for the help defending themselves from a purely aggressive invasion from this monstrosity next door, this revanchist Russia trying to recreate its evil empire. Ted Snyder, what about that? Yeah, so, so of course, there's absolutely no evidence in the written record. There's absolutely no historical evidence that Russia's trying to recreate any kind of Soviet empire. Not only have they not tried to take over any other territory, but, Scott, they could have taken over Ukraine any time they wanted. In, in, in 2014, when Russia took back Crimea. When Putin did that, he was acting under authorization of the parliament to act in Ukraine at large, not just in Crimea. 
And at, so he had permission to take the, the Donbass at that time. He had the military force to do it. He had the, the, the excuse to do it because, because ethnic Russians were being persecuted and killed. So he had the reason, he had the means, he had the permission. Putin didn't act on it because he didn't want the Donbass, right? He trusted to the Minsk Accords. He wanted an, a solution that would protect Russian ethnics and keep the Donbass Ukraine. He didn't want the Donbass. This was not about expanding the Russian Empire. He could have. He didn't want to. When you see this stuff on the news, they're entirely ignoring the history of, uh, you know, NATO promises not to expand Ukraine, not to advance to Russia's door, not to arm Ukraine to the teeth and and, and make the sort of anti-Russian um, bridgehead, you know, a, a threat to, to Russia. It ignores the entire history by this ridiculous word of the unprovoked attack, right? It was an attack. What Russia did was illegal. Fine. No one, no one's saying that war is a good thing. You know, you and I both work at anti-war. We don't believe in war. But this idea that it was unprovoked is historical amnesia to the worst degree. Um, it was it was nothing like unprovoked. And yes, so you can say Ukraine asked us for our help. But again, that ignores what we just said. Ukraine had reached a settlement. They weren't asking for our help anymore. Ukraine had reached a settlement. Right. We won't be in NATO. You pull back. Right. They'd, they'd reached the settlement. It was beyond them as we we it wasn't Ukraine asking America for help after that negotiated settlement. It was America asking Ukraine for help. It was America asking Ukraine to fight their war for them, that will give you the intelligence, the arms, the training and the money, but will use your Ukrainian bodies to do it. So if anybody says that Ukraine was asking for American help, Ukraine had already reached their policy goals. America was asking for Ukraine's help. And the help they were asking for is help us to fight Russia without any loss of American lives. Help us to weaken Russia at the cost of hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian lives. It's America asking for Ukraine's help, not Ukraine asking for America's help. Yeah, it's Ted Snyder from Antiwar.com here on Antiwar Radio with us today. And I got to ask you about this because, as I know you remember, at the start of the war— the Americans thought that the Ukrainian military would be smashed immediately, that Russia would be dominant at least east of the Dnieper River, or at the very least in the Donbass, uh, that is uh, Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts there in the far east, but maybe the entire eastern half of the country. And then the question was, how mm -hmm. much further are they going to go than that? Mm -hmm. uh, and then the plan then was, we're going to support essentially the Ukrainian Mujahideen. We're going to support rebels, some moderate rebels, and, um, you know, led by the Azov Battalion and, mm -hmm. I guess, the remnants of the army, and they're going to fight an insurgency behind enemy lines. That was already Plan A. So mm -hmm. now Plan B actually kicked in because ah, the army held together a lot better than anybody thought. And then now here it is. It's a year and three quarters later, and the army isn't smashed yet. It's not an insurgency yet. It's just, as you said, a very failed and, and terrible conventional armored and infantry offensive here. But um, I wonder if you think that they're perfectly happy to go back to plan A, call it plan C now. That Well, we'll just go back to insurgency. Uh, if, if the army can't really maintain and the Russians are able to, I guess, weaken it to a certain point and then really strike and crush it, that, well, whatever, we'll just give everybody a musket and tell them to go hide behind a tree. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, Scott, because I don't know if the U.S. has a policy. I don't know if they have a plan C. Um, they're, they're, they're scrambling right now. I don't think they know what they're doing. And I don't know if they read that plan A right either. Look, I don't, 
nobody knows what Russian intended to do in the first days of the war and whether they didn't take Kiev because Ukraine's army held together or not. I mean, I think it's I think it's just as likely that that Russia did a quick strike into Kiev with with the idea that we're going to terrify them into a settlement. And look, maybe we'll get lucky and take it really easily. But if we don't, fine. And 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 don't forget, you know, people talk about this Russian failure, but and we keep coming back to the same thing, Scott. That it's the central thing. Don't forget that if Russia's goal was to go in quick on Ukraine, terrify them into a quick settlement, they did. Right. Kiev immediately called for settlement. They immediately negotiated a stop. They immediately initialed it. The state stopped it. It's not clear that Russia's initial strategy failed. Right. If Russia's initial strategy failed, it may have been because they underestimated the, the cynicism and depravity of the states in, in blocking it, blocking the settlement. And, and what are they going to do now? Look, Ukraine risks being turned into um you know what some people call a rump state. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, they, they, they're losing the East. If if Russia continues into Odessa and takes the seaports, what you end up with is, is a Ukraine with no economy, um, no people. It, it's not really clear how the U.S. could really use that for anything. Uh, the, the, it'd be much more advantageous for the states and for Ukraine to quickly settle now while Ukraine can remain a viable economic state. Right now, the Russians aren't taking Odessa. It's not even clear that, that they're moving to do that, right? Um, if if they just stop now and, and get rid of this plan A, plan B, plan C, whether it's a guerrilla war or a proxy war or an all-out war, you still have a Ukraine right now that exists as a state um, that, that could function. Um, but But you know, if they go on, if they keep fighting in any way, the, the trend right now is just that Russia is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And if you try to fight that war, you just might lose all of Ukraine. Would you end up with guerrilla warfare after? Look, that's part of the reason why Russia doesn't want Ukraine. It's part of the reason Russia never wanted Ukraine. Um, part of the reason they don't want Ukraine is how would you possibly manage Ukraine? It's not that Russia wants Ukraine. You're talking about a security system in Europe that never got solved after the Cold War. It's not that Russia wants Ukraine. It's that Russia doesn't want Ukraine into the Western NATO sphere. They don't want NATO on their border any more than the U.S. wanted Russia in Cuba. Um, it's not about wanting Ukraine. It's about it's about setting up a security system in Europe that nobody set up after the end of the Cold War that that could bring peace. And part of that is a neutral Ukraine. And Ukraine was totally willing to sign on to that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Ted, because about a year ago, uh, was last September, actually, the weekend of September 11th, 2022, the Ukrainians had their greatest victory where they pushed the Russians out yeah. of Kharkiv province and a little bit of, I think, the very northern part of Luhansk and out of about half of Kherson. Uh, mm -hmm. Push them back across the river, right? And so at that time, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, mm -hmm. said, hey, you boys better quit while you're only this far behind. That's as good as it's going to get. And mm -hmm. I think now would be a really good time for you to see if you can get the Russians to come and talk. And then, but they didn't do that. And uh, so now here it is. It's more than a year later, and the Russians have officially mm -hmm. annexed all mm -hmm. four of those provinces in the law and signed it and everything. And I wonder if you think it's even within the realm of possibility that the Russians would be willing to compromise and give up two and keep two, or whether, no, really, they've already lost everything between yeah. Luhansk and Crimea, and 
The only question is whether they're taking Kharkiv back and and yeah. or taking Odessa. But Let's they're not going to retreat at all. Do you think how much of that do you think is even negotiable? Have the Russians even signaled yeah. that they're willing to negotiate yeah. at this point? So I think there's three things to say to that. The, the first is to go back to and the be first real part quick because we're almost out of time. Okay, I'll I'll skip the first one then. Um, I'll skip the first one. Um, I'll go to the second. Millie was sagely saying they'd reached an inflection point that that stopped now. It's going to get worse. He was right. It got worse. Um, so now now Russia has has these four provinces instead of two. Will they give them up? Um, the first the first two, the Donbass, no. Um, the second two, it'd be very difficult to give them up. Russia has said that we won't give them up. They have not, however, clearly defined the boundaries of those provinces. Is it possible they'd be willing to give up some of them west of the river? Yes. Um, is it possible that they'd promise not to take Odessa? Yes. They're not giving back Crimea. They're not giving back the Donbass. Um, might they negotiate parts of the other ones? I think they might. Do I know? Absolutely not. But they might. But but Millie was right that if they don't do it, then it was just going to get worse. And if you don't do it now, it is just going to get worse. Russia's terms will get harder and harder and harder. It's just going to get worse. Um, as for those early victories, too, Scott, those happened because Russia very strategically pulled back their troops. Ukraine did not defeat a well-defended, fortified Russian army. They never have. They haven't won a single battle in a single place where Russia has divided, decided to defend and right now in the in the town of Avdivka, where where this battle is going on again, and they're and they're defending that town, um, you know, Russia's probably on the verge in the next weeks or months of of taking that town. And if they do, that breaks the front. They can spread through the Donbass and lock down those those territories in the Donbass they wanted from the beginning. Um, it's it's not going to get better. All right, you guys. That is Ted Snyder regular contributor at the Institute and at antiwar.com. Thank you so much for your time, Ted. Thanks, Scott. All right, you guys, and that's it for Antiwar Radio for today. I'm your host, Scott Horton, editorial director at antiwar.com and author of Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Find my full interview archive at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And follow me on Twitter at scotthortonshow. And I'm here every Thursday from 2.30 to 3 on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. See you next week.